Uh, we're in a conversation called Jeremiah, where uh, for the last several weeks we've been looking at uh, the book of Jeremiah and, and a closer, uh, maybe more detailed look, and we're really trying to mine the book of Jeremiah to figure out what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, I don't want to just kind of hang out on earth and keep spinning around the sun until, you know, I don't know, I don't anymore, and, and, and then we're just done. Like, I want to make sure that the time that we spend here and now is, is, is for purpose. And that's what Jeremiah does, is it calls us to more. Uh, this, this conversation is uh, calling us to reach our uh, God-given potential, to find our capacity, to find what God is calling us to, and to uh, live up to uh, whatever it is that he desires for us. But I think we all need to be shaken we need to be shaken out of our dull moral habits, shaken out of uh, our normal busy work, just kind of getting by, getting stuff done. We can get so caught up in the normal aspects of life that sometimes we lose sight of the reality that God has placed us here for such a time as this. And in our lives, we have to come to a place where we're no longer comfortable, where we don't want to just be comfortable. We want to be uh, stretched and, and challenged. And Taylor did that two weeks ago. She encouraged us to find our purpose. Uh, last week, I expounded upon that, talking about purposes, that you don't just have a singular purpose, but you actually have multiple purposes as you grow and change and, and evolve. And as life shifts and moves, we find that God uses us in different capacities and different time frames for different reasons. And I want to be used by God. I want to position myself to, to say, God, what are you doing and how can I be involved in it? And if that looks like this or that looks like that. And, and this morning we've got uh, Amanda who normally does announcements doing media and Terry's guy on vacation. And everybody's just got different purposes and different reasons and shifting around. And it's just a small picture of how God wants to use us and the world around us to reach our families, our neighbors, our community and beyond. And today we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, specifically verse 6 through 8. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to define our potential. That potential is uh, a bit of an interesting word because um, when you're a kid and someone says you have a lot of potential, you kind of smile and go, yeah. As a teenager, you know, someone says you have a lot of potential, it's kind of double-edged, you know. It's kind of like saying you're not quite doing what you should be, but you could be doing better. But as a 40, 50, 60-year-old, when someone says you have a lot of potential, that's an insult. That's a, that's a clear indication that you haven't done what you should be doing. And so I don't want to insult you today when I say that there's a lot of potential in this room. But what I do want to do is I want to call to the forefront of our minds the, the reality that no matter how big you dream, God dreams bigger. No matter how much you think God wants to do in your life and in your church and in your neighborhood, in your community, God wants to do more. And so when we say you have potential, really the definition of potential is the ability or power to do, experience, or understand something. But I think the more practical and more applicable definition of potential is our perceived ability or power to do, experience, or understand something. When we talk about potential, it's really just our perception. What do you think you're able to do? What do you think you're capable of doing? That there's a lot of potential in this room, and God wants to uh, uh, extract everything he can from us to fulfill his purpose here on earth. And when we talk about God knowing us and forming us just as he did Jeremiah before we were in the womb and we talk about the reality that God has a calling on our lives and, and potential and purposes, we have to take a step back and go, we're not just talking about some like, uh, idea of God, we're talking about the God who formed the universe, 
who separated water and sky and land and ground and darkness and night and, and formed uh, earth and shaped trees and you and me and, and the God who created the universe turns his creative potential towards you and me. And he designed you and he desires to use you and he doesn't have to. God doesn't need us, but he desires to use us to fulfill his plan for earth. And he wants to use us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message across the world. And it'd be a lot easier if he didn't use us. It'd be a lot better, probably, if he circumvented us, but he desires to use us. Yet you and I are the gatekeepers to what God wants to do in the world around us. And last week we read Jeremiah 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before you were in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I love that Jeremiah's honesty and transparency is evident in the book. He's writing this in the third person. He's writing this about himself. He really could paint it in any way he wants. And if you and I were writing a book of the Bible, we knew would stand the test of time, be here for eternity, uh, we would probably gloss over some of our mistakes. We'd kind of rose-color some of our failures and, and our, uh, our inability to trust. And we would probably write a book that makes us the hero and what Jeremiah is doing, he's actually choosing honesty, even when it doesn't make him look the best. He's choosing to be transparent, even when he doesn't necessarily have to. He's choosing to be more human. And in Jeremiah, he's describing this reality that God spoke, and he says, I knew you, and I formed you in the womb. I have a purpose for you and a plan for you. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. It's a big calling. It's not just, I need you to talk to your neighbor. Right? A lot of us shy from that. It's not just I need you to reach your community or I need you to be a part of an outreach or I need you to give a little more or I need you to serve here or I need you to talk about me more or whatever. He's saying, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah's immediate response in verse 6 was, but I protested. But I protested. I want to emphasize here the reality that, that Jeremiah is having this epic God encounter where God is calling him to something remarkable, bigger than he could ever imagine, however big he thought his life was. He probably never imagined he would be called to be prophet to the nations. I want you to just not go to Judah or Israel. I want you to go beyond. You're going to be my voice. You're going to share the message of hope, and you're going to uh, curve people back towards me, and you're going to give warnings, and you're going to uh, preach. And Jeremiah is having this moment where God is inspiring him, encouraging him, he's calling him to more, and he says his initial response, his first reaction was, no, I protested. And if we're honest, anytime you and I are asked to do anything we don't feel like we're capable of doing, we're going to say no. I mean, none of us want to be set up to fail. In fact, it's, it's kind of part of uh, the way we want to operate as a church as well. Like, I don't want to set anybody, I want to, we want to use people, we want to incorporate people, but we don't want to set anybody up to fail. Uh, because it quickly becomes an embarrassment. If you're asked to do something that you can't do and you try to do and you fail, it's like, oh man. So you and I, we always kind of live beneath what we uh, really can do because we don't want to get to the point of stretching where we risk failing. And, and Jeremiah's natural instinct was to refuse. Any one of us would. Prophet to the nations? No thanks. Call me to the Starbucks down the road or call me to, you know, some lady in a grocery store line, but not to the nations. That's too large. It's too big. Judah's a mess. It's an apostate. We're not, we're not trying to, to, to change the whole culture here. Just, I'm not capable. I'm not, I'm not able. And, uh, and I protested and God was calling him to more. And he was uh, trying to shrink back to, to less because less was where he was comfortable. More was a stretch. 
To turn a culture back to him uh, would, be, would be too much. It's an overwhelming calling. And yet what I've noticed about what God does in all of our lives is he always calls us to live and to move and to operate just beyond our level of comfort. Just beyond our own ability, just beyond our own strength, just beyond our own financial means, God always calls us to live on the fringes of faith, on the edge of faith where stepping over is risky and, and moving forward is, is challenging. And I have to wonder how many times has God called me to more, but I protested. How many times has God wanted to use me to do something bigger than I thought I could do, more than I thought I could handle, and I protested. The reality is the creator of heaven and earth often believes in you and me more than we believe in ourselves. The reality that God was calling Jeremiah to be prophet to the nations and he's protesting implores us to, to, to realize God believed in Jeremiah and his capacity way more than Jeremiah believed in himself and God consistently calls you and I to more, but we keep protesting. God keeps calling us to love and to serve and to give and, and to do more than we feel capable. But all of us want to live, live beneath our own natural abilities. And God says, I want to draw something out of you. You didn't even know you had. Jeremiah didn't think he was capable, and so he protested. I think if we're going to realize our potential and step into our purpose or purposes, we have to stop protesting. First and foremost, we have to stop protesting. I don't know how you protest. Uh, I, I'm slowly discovering how I do. Often, I try to ignore God. It's like, oh, I should do that? Uh, sure, I'll put that, on the, put that on the agenda. God, I'll get to it just in a little bit, and then everything else takes precedence, and I just never get around to it, and I just hope he doesn't notice. You know what I mean? In his infinite wisdom, maybe he just won't pay attention to the fact that I'm trying to get away from what he's calling me to do, and yet every time I realize that by my mannerisms and my ability to ignore God and, and, and put it off, I'm protesting. God's saying, I want to do something remarkable in and through you, but I'm protesting. And often it's because they don't feel capable. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I mean absolutely honest, we're always inadequate. So anytime we come to a situation and we go, well, I'm capable of doing that, I'll step into that, you're always inadequate. And that's not a slight, I'm just being honest. I'm always inadequate. I'm always unqualified. I'm always unprepared. No matter how prepared you feel like you are, you're always inadequate. In our own strength, we're only able to do so much, and we're not always honest, but we are inadequate at best. And what God does is he sees your inadequacies, he sees my inabilities, and he says, I'm choosing to use you regardless. And more often than not, our lives are limited by what we think we can accomplish, that our mindset is often the greatest limitation. The moment we decide we can't do something, we won't do anything. And a lot of us come into uh, an encounter with God. He's calling us to something. It may not be this divine counter, no bush, no loud voice. It's just, I know I should do this. I just know deep down. I don't know how I know, but I know I should say this. I know I should be a part of this. I know I should be involved in this. I know I should give this. I should serve this way. I know I should do it, but I'm not capable. But I'm not qualified, so I'm not going to do anything. And the moment I decide that I'm not going to do it, I won't ever do it. And the greatest limitation is often self-limitation. 
That the moment we decide we can't do something is the moment we'll do nothing. And every ceiling in our lives, whether it's a ceiling you've placed in your life or it's a ceiling someone else has placed or spoken over you in your life, every ceiling in our life is a false ceiling. It's a false limitation. It only exists if you allow it to define you that we have a choice in our lives. We're not passive participants in this life, that we can be active agents of change to evoke change in our lives and in the lives of others, and we can spend our lives blaming others, we can spend our lives blaming our own mistakes and our own failures, or we can take, uh, take, take back our life and give it over to God, and when we do that, our future no longer becomes an extension of our past. That a lot of us, because we're passive uh, participants in life, our past and our future are merely mirror images. They're just an extension. And we don't really change or evoke change or do anything new or do anything uh, more for God. We just have an extension of our lives, our past and our future, our mirror images. And what God wants to do is he wants to evoke change in our lives to help us begin to see ourselves differently, that your potential should not be based on what you think you're capable of. And it certainly shouldn't be uh, based on what people think you're capable of. You and I, every time we uh, feel incapable or inadequate, we should come to God and go, what are you calling me to do? What are you inviting me into? What do you want to do through me? Because it doesn't matter what I feel qualified to do. And it doesn't matter what others are telling me I'm qualified to do. God, what are you inviting me to And if we allow our inadequacies to prevent us from doing God's will, then we'll never do God's will because we're always inadequate. We use our inadequacies, though, to avoid living up to our God-given potential. We use it as an excuse. Well, I'm not capable. And a lot of us have been missing opportunities for God to work through us. There are people waiting for you and I to stop being limited by what we feel capable of doing and to step in and step up. And God does not send us into the dangerous life of faith because we're qualified. He chooses us in order to qualify us for what he wants to do and who he wants us to become. That God's not waiting for you to be capable. I need you to go talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Well, I gotta finish seminary, you know, and then I gotta read the Bible all the way through because I can't tell people about the Bible if I haven't read it all the way through. Then I should probably learn a foreign language because I don't know if my neighbor speaks a different language and so I should learn them all. And we start creating excuses to do nothing and all God's saying is just, just walk away, just step up, just talk, just open your mouth, just be available, just love, just serve, just be willing. And the more something threatens our identity, the more we avoid it. That a lot of us have this idea of who we are, and who we are dictates what we do. People like this do things like this. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm David, and, and, and I will stand in front of a congregation of people and, and, and preach the gospel. And I don't care if there's 3,000, it's all easier when there's more people because you don't see people, you see things. And, and when there's less, it's harder. And I don't mind to stand and talk in front of people, which is some people's fear. But I will not get on a roller coaster. I don't care how much I paid for the theme park ticket, I'm not getting on a roller coaster. Because I don't do that. And it threatens me. It doesn't just threaten me. It threatens my identity. And I just won't do it. And what a lot of us do is we develop who we think we are. We develop the lane that we think we should stay in. We develop our style, our image, our our talk, our speech, our mindset. And then we just go in that lane. And anything that threatens to pull us out of our preconceived idea of who we are is seen as a threat. And we see it as scary. Cognitively, we see it as fearful. And we we avoid it. And every time God calls, he's always going to call you to more than you're capable of. 
After all, why would we need God if he's going to call you to do something that you're able to do? If God calls you to walk, well, I know how to walk. I don't need God's strength for walking unless you're hurt, and that's a different story. Uh, You don't have to break my analogy down so quickly. The idea is that God always calls us to a little more than we're capable of doing because if we're doing it in our own strength, we don't need God. We don't need him. We don't need faith. We don't need his ability. So he always calls us to more. But that more is always outside the lane, always outside the idea of who we think we are. And it's always a little bit fearful for us. And there's a part of us inside that says, no, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't step outside of that. And anything that shakes up that comfort, even if it has the potential to make our life better, is seen as a threat. I got to stay in my lane. I got to be quiet. That we live as if it's me versus the world. But the reality is it's you versus you. We're in our heads, all of us. We're in our heads so much that when God calls, and it could be, a, uh, and that, that sounds like real big, but it could be something as simple as just knowing in your heart you should pay for the person's gas behind you or groceries or whatever, or coffee or whatever. It's like, I know I should do that. And we get in our head, well, if I do that, then the person behind them may feel obligated, and then I'm setting off a chain that might make it, you know, everybody uncomfortable. Like we start just rationalizing, overthinking everything, and God's saying, just be obedient, just walk forward, step at a time in my will, because we have this potential to find what we're capable of, but we only have that potential if we're going to walk with Christ. Otherwise, we're always going to be settling for less. That God would not bother to place opportunities in front of you and would not bother to invite you into an opportunity to share your faith and to, and to step up if he did not overwhelmingly believe that you were able. See, what's beautiful about God is God doesn't need you to be capable. He just needs you to be willing. He doesn't need you to be capable, which is beautiful because that does not disqualify any one of us in this room. The most inadequate, uh, largest sinner in the room to to those who are, uh, you know, living their best moral selves. The idea is that God wants to use us all if we'll humbly come and be willing to be used by God. But the stereotypical passage often that we use in this place would be Philippians 4.13. Many of you, without seeing it on the screen, could probably recite it. I can do all things. Through Christ who gives me strength. And it would be easy to pop that scripture in right here and be like, all right, God's calling you to more. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So let's go. And it's a good charge. Music plays. We walk out the door. You go. And you're like, all right, I want to win the lottery. Well, I didn't win the lottery. I can't do all things. I mean, I didn't play, but still, I wanted to win. I mean, through Christ, I can do all things. Get to a home project, right? I had a electrical plug go out of my house and I couldn't find the breaker, right? I want to do all things. Well, I can grab it, but I'm not going to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do all, all things. And so many people come to this passage and they go, well, maybe the scriptures are lying to us. I mean, I can't do surgery. You know, I can think of a million things. I can't get on roller coaster. Like, I can't do all things. So all of a sudden, the scriptures are lying to us. But here's the interesting thing about this passage specifically is without going into the details, this is part of the prison epistles that Paul's writing. Uh, if you don't know much about Paul, he's been through a lot. And uh, he's been tortured, and in this moment he's in prison. And so here's a guy who's literally writing in prison saying, you can do all things through Christ. And somehow as the church we go, okay, why didn't he get out of prison? You know what I mean? If you can do all things, if there's actually taking the scriptures you know, without context, then why didn't he just break out of prison I mean, eventually? Regardless, the idea is that this passage isn't describing that we can do all things in Christ. Paul is not telling us to believe more in ourselves. There's been so many sermons all over the U.S. specifically calling us to believe more in ourselves and to do more and to to love more and to do more in your own strength. And Paul isn't telling us to do that. 
Paul isn't telling us to believe in ourselves. He isn't telling us to believe that Christ will empower us to do whatever we set our minds to. So just set your mind and do it and God will empower you. What he's telling us to do is reminding us that we can do whatever God calls us to do. And even more specifically and more nuanced, what Paul is telling us is that when the world collapses in on you, you're going to be able to press on. That when you feel like you've suffered so much for the calling of Christ, you're going to have the ability through Christ, the strength through Jesus, to keep moving forward. That when he calls you to something, there's going to be opposition. And Paul is telling us that you can resist opposition in Christ's strength. But he's calling us to not work and operate and live and think and move in our own capacity, in our own ability. And so many of us keep messing up and we keep failing. We keep hitting a ceiling because we're trying to do things in our own strength for God. Right? We can do a lot of things for God and lose sight of why we do them. And we can leave God behind and God's going, hey, I'm over here. And we're like, yeah, man, I'm really doing a bunch of good work over here, God. Why don't you come over here? And he's going, that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm giving you the ability and the capacity and the strength to work over here. And what happens is a lot of us get burned out and we get worn out and we get tired. And it's because we're doing things in our own strength for God. And God's going, just rest in me. Just trust in me. Stop protesting. And many of us have formulated our opinions of what we're capable of doing based on what we failed to do. We view what we can do and cannot do based on what we have done and what we have not done. And so we've created this idea of what God can do or will do or wants to do in our lives based on what we failed to do or haven't been able to do. And we create this box that we put God in and we go, well, that's probably what he's going to do. And Philippians and certainly Jeremiah would both be a great reminder that our failures and accomplishments do not define you, nor do they empower you. God does. Say, so, well, I've failed before. Great. Get in line. We've all failed before. There's not a person in Scripture apart from Christ who hasn't failed miserably, and yet God keeps using people, us. We'll have accomplished some good things. Wonderful. God wants to do more. So your failures and your accomplishments aren't good parameters for what God wants to do. They're not good uh, metrics for us to be able to evaluate our potential. See, we often over, uh, we often underestimate God and overestimate ourselves. Right? And you would probably never articulate it that way. But when you look at your actions, your motives, your heart's, uh, heart's desires, we often underestimate God and overestimate self. And God is saying, let's flip it. Let's just flip it. Let's just start recognizing that God desires to do increasingly more than we ever could fathom. And let's stop protesting. The second thing, if we want to realize our potential and step into our purpose, uh, we stop protesting. The second thing is we've got to stop projecting. We want to project onto God what we feel like we're capable. Oh, well, God, I, I can't, you already, I mean, you should know. I can't do that. And we project onto him. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does. In verse 6, he says, but I protested. Now, that's not enough. Jeremiah has to then qualify his statement with the following. Look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. Hey, God, I can't do it. And here's why. As if God didn't already know Jeremiah's limitations, Jeremiah felt like he needed to go ahead and speak up. Now, throughout Scripture, we find men and women who create excuses. Moses specifically, uh, but, but almost all of them, if not all of them, have done this in some way. They create excuses for not doing what God is calling them to do. And, and we see through it in most of Scripture. But when we look at Jeremiah and he says, hey, I'm only a youth, we go, yeah, you're right. Many believe he's between 17 and 20 years old. When he says, I don't speak well, we're like, he probably doesn't. Like, he's probably not wrong here. He's probably pretty self-aware. 
Like, hey, I'm not the best person for this. Like, you're wanting somebody to be a prophet to the nations? I'm not a good speaker. I'm just a kid. I'm just a, a, a youth. And what happens for us as human beings since the beginning of time is we love and we crave defined roles, right? So when we ask the question, what is my purpose, what we're really doing is we're asking, where's my place in life? Where do I fit in church? When we say, I want, I want to know what my purpose is, we go, well, what defined role do you have? Are you the youth pastor? Are you the children's pastor? Are you the greeter? Are you this? I want a defined, clear role. And in our lives, even beyond church, we want clear, defined roles. And when we meet people, we put them in categories in our brain. So I meet you at the Starbucks, you're a barista, I go, okay, well, there's, you know, the Hispanic lady who, uh, in, in, you know, middle age who works at Starbucks, right? And that's the category that you're now placed in, or there's so-and-so at church, and that's the category, there's so-and-so at school, and we categorize everything and everyone, and we love it, our brains crave uh, consistency, they crave ease, and so what happens is when I go to the Starbucks, I go, oh, there's that person, and my brain pulls it out. Things get weird, though, when people cross categories, all of a sudden, I go, oh, and this happened. Uh, one of my kids' teachers started showing up, shows up to church, and, and it's like, oh, wait, what category? Wait, you're, not, you're in the wrong category, and our brains can't quite figure it out, and it takes a minute, and it's why when you see somebody from church at, at the grocery store, you go, how do I know you again? Oh, yeah, you're the pastor. Got it. And, and then we move forward, and so what we love is we create categories, and beyond that, we go, okay, well, this is good, and this is bad. You're a good person. You're a bad person, and we're doing this because we've got to feel like we're measuring everything in our lives. We wouldn't articulate it, but we do. You're moral. Well, I got to see how moral I am in, in relation to you, and so everything is being measured and weighed and categorized, and what happens is we create a category called lost cause, hopeless, and we avoid we put people in there, oh, we don't want to talk to them. We don't want to see them. Maybe there are people who have left our church. I refuse to do it. I'm going to say hi to everybody all the time. I don't care how weird it is. But we do this a lot of times. We go, well, this is a lost cause person, right? We, they've hurt me, so they're there. And, and what happens even more dangerously is we place ourselves in that category when we've made too many mistakes. I failed too much. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too big. I am now in the lost cause category. And what's happened in the context of Jeremiah is that the people that he's being called to, the people of Judah and beyond, they're really, really difficult people. They've gone so far from God that I'm guessing Jeremiah is not just saying I'm not qualified, but because he's measuring everything, he's saying they're too far gone from me because I'm only a youth. Not only is he saying he's not capable or capable enough, but he's also saying they're too difficult, they're too far gone, and I find this to be so relatable in my life where I go, they're too far to be reached. Somebody else needs to get them. Somebody else needs to take care of them. Somebody, I can't do it, and not only am I saying this is on me, but this is also on them, and what God is saying is I cross barriers, I cross categories, I cross whatever mental blocks and barriers you've placed in your life, and I don't care what criteria you've created, I don't care what metrics you have, the reality is we end up treating people different based on how we see them, and God says, I don't want to do that, I want to wash all that away, and I want you just to serve me, and follow me, and love like I love and, and all of a sudden, the people uh, that they were called to reach don't seem so unattainable anymore. They don't seem so scary or threatening anymore. Not because we all of a sudden became more capable in our own strength. Not because we all of a sudden heard a sermon about this and we read some scriptures and we feel empowered. But because we start recognizing that God believes in you more than you believe in you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. And Jeremiah is saying, I'm just a youth. And God's not buying it. First Timothy, we see some similar language. First Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you 
because you're young or let me despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Even First Timothy is like, don't let anybody despise you. It's the number one scripture in youth groups, right? Especially through the 90s. It's like, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. But I don't specifically think that First Timothy is actually talking about youth I think he's talking about the labels that we've received. I think he's talking about the image that we've created. Let no one despise you because you're old. Let no one despise you because you're dyslexic. Let nobody despise you because you're poor. Let no one despise you because you are walking and with me and I am greater and I will invite you into the unknown and do things through you that you could never imagine. So stop limiting me in your life. Let no one despise you for the labels you've been given. But we've been programmed to stay in our own lane and God keeps drawing us out and drawing us out and drawing us out and we'll never know what we're capable of doing through Christ until we actually follow through and we do what he's calling us to do. And Jeremiah, likely 17 or 20, was unqualified, and yet that did not disturb God. God said, that's who I want. Give me the guy who's unqualified. And Jeremiah 1.7, the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you and speak whatever I tell you. Passage continues in other versions. It says, I put my hand on his mouth, and I put my words in his heart. God gave Jeremiah the words to say. Jeremiah didn't even have to come up with the words to speak. He just had to listen to God. Now, I know what it's like because I write quite often uh, for Sundays. And so I know what it's like to have to write a lot and come up with words often. And words matter uh, a lot. And so uh, I, I write quite a bit each week. And so I understand. And there are times when I'm sitting at my computer and I'm trying to manufacture the words. And I'm trying to manufacture uh, the sermon and the message. And I'm trying to work at it in my own strength. And then there are times where psychologists and, and even athletes would call it the flow. Where I feel like God is depositing those things into my heart. And I can't type fast enough. Carpal tunnel and everything. I'm like, I just can't get it on the paper quick enough because God's depositing it in my heart. And when you begin to operate like that, you become less comfortable operating in your own strength and you desire to be used and work in God. And Jeremiah is stepping into what he is capable of doing. He's inadequate, can't speak well. God's depositing words into his heart. Jeremiah then becomes a vessel. Do you know that's all we are? We're just vessels. We're just containers to be used by God. And this is specifically about Jeremiah, obviously. We're not Jeremiah, but we can understand that if God is depositing his words into Jeremiah's heart, there's a good chance he's going to do the exact same thing for you and I. If he's given them the words to say. Have you ever been in a moment where you're talking with someone and conversation turned weird and you just, maybe a scripture came to mind? You didn't know how you memorized it. You know, maybe you were a child in, in VBS when you were 10 and you're like, oh, that passage just came back. Maybe it's a song. I love hymns because so many of the songs uh, are scripture. It just came to your mind. And you give that and the person's like, oh, wow, thank you. I needed to hear that. That's not you. Felt like you. It's not you. That's God. That's God putting his words in your heart. That's God working through you. It's using you. Have you ever been in a place and you felt like just you needed to move or do something different or go or whatever? That's not you. That's not this weird premonition. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you moving and working and calling and drawing. And if we'll lean into that, we'll see how God uses us at a, at a deeper level. He calls us and then he equips us. And that's so frustrating because I'm like, equip me, train me, prepare me, and then put me to work and I'll do whatever you call. And he's going, nope, that's not how how I work. Let's go the other way. You're going to do, and then you're going to become. 
and, and, and we're vessels, we're containers. And so we have to position ourselves in a, in a place to be ready and willing. We've got to stop limiting ourselves. We've got to stop labeling ourselves. And if we want to realize our potential and step into our purpose, the third thing is we have to stop panicking. We've got to stop panicking. Panic is the immediate thing. When, it, when we're ever drawn out of our own comfort, we immediately panic because we're so driven by fear. Fear is easier than work, but it's not more fulfilling. And fear is often an excuse that many of us use to not do what God has called us to do. I'm afraid. Are you? Let's go. God wants to do something through you, and fear is not an excuse. In verse 8, it says, Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. And so many of us are hindered by fear, but fear is almost always a projection of the future. And God's saying, I'm already in the future. I already know what's happening here. You don't have to stress that. We'll work at it as we get there. But I've noticed that fear requires very little effort. In fact, fear does the opposite. It keeps us from doing anything. And we ignore the fact that fear is a choice that we can make. And we take a great deal of, of work and resisting when all we have to do is go, God, if you're in it, then I'm going to be right in the middle of it because I don't have to be afraid. The resisting fear is pretty easy when we begin to realize how much God believes in us, that he desires and he calls us. But we've made being uh, afraid a habit. It's a disposition. It's a default for so many of us. But following God is often about not knowing and trusting in him anyway. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it'll turn out. But we're going to do it anyway. So why be afraid of that? But action is just the effective motivation. So what I've realized, at least in my life, and I'm sure yours too, is that if I desire to clean the house, I don't. Nobody does. Uh, most people don't. Sane, regular adults do not desire to clean the house. If I'm watching TV, I'm watching a football game, and I'm like, I should probably clean the house, right? Uh, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to sit there. But if I stand up, the second you stand up, right? And then you're like, oh, I guess I'll just clean this. If I just clean this one little area, right? And then this area, and then this area, and then this, and then other people come in. If you're in my family, nobody does except for Margie but, and Estella. But, but in theory, others will come alongside you. And, and see, what happens for us is we want to wait for the motivation to do God's will. I want to wait for inspiration, but that's for amateurs. Inspiration is for amateurs. Motivation is for amateurs. Action sparks motivation, Right? So if you're sitting there like, well, as soon as God prompts my heart, no, that's garbage. Let's go. When you move, all of a sudden you find the motivation, you find the inspiration. And it might be misguided, but God will bring you back through grace. And all of a sudden we find that action produces motivation. Action produces inspiration. We get it backwards. And that's why we don't do anything. And all of a sudden we're just sitting back going, oh, I sure wish God would use me to do something. It's action. Who can you start loving on now? Who can you start sharing Jesus with now? What can you give? How can you serve? And watch how your motivation and inspiration follows. However, action leads to inspiration, which leads to motivation. And it's this beautiful loop if we'll just do something. Stop waiting until you feel capable because you are always inadequate in your own strength. And in Jeremiah 1.17, it says this, now get ready. This is God speaking. Stand up and tell them everything that I commanded you. Do not be intimidated by them or I will cause you to cower before them. Today, I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the king of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. Do you know what's exciting about this? Is that eight verses earlier, Jeremiah was just a boy who couldn't speak well. Eight verses later, God says, I am making you an iron pillar, a fortified city, a bronze wall against the whole land. Kings aren't going to stand against you. Priests aren't going to stand against you. No one will stop you. Eight verses later. That's pretty good for just a boy. God says, get up. Get ready. 
Get moving. And Jeremiah ended up being a one-man defense system against a whole nation because God was with him. But it's the same God who's with you and I. That Jeremiah went from a boy making excuses to a steel post accepting the excitement that God had placed on his life. What if we chose to live like Jeremiah? What if we chose to wake every day with the call that God's placed on Jeremiah's life? Get up, get ready. What do you want to do with me, God? What do you want to do through me today? That we get to choose the life that we pursue. We do. While everything inside of you is screaming to play it safe and to care about what everyone thinks and do whatever you think everyone wants you to do, God is calling you to something else. He's calling you to more. God is calling us to live to our capacity, not our capacity, his capacity in our lives. Not your imagined capacity, but your God-strengthened capacity. But the question that is posed as we close is what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Will you step into whatever God invites you to do? It may seem small. It may seem insurmountable. Regardless of what God calls us to do, will we say, here I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Father in heaven, in this moment, we uh, sit here in, in your presence and, and, and we sit here humbly saying that we're inadequate. And we don't really know exactly what we're doing and we're kind of fumbling through this thing and, and, and we're really hopeful and we're really optimistic but, but there's really no clear defined roles. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do but what I'm supposed to do I know is to follow you and so God, what is it that you're inviting me to do? What are you saying? What are you calling me to? Is it to write a song? Is it to take a job? Is it to volunteer here? Is it to give here? I don't know what it is but God, when I know it, I'll be ready. So Father, thank you. Thank you for choosing to use us despite ourselves. Despite our inadequacies, our failures, our flaws, thank you for continuing to use us through your grace and your mercy. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you haven't given up on us. You're not done with any of us. So God, we praise you for what you're doing and we praise you for what you're going to do, for the testimonies that will come from the lives that we live. And we're not just circling the earth one more time, but we're going to make the most of the time we've been given. So, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.